welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe, on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And in Kamloops in Sewetmuk Ulu. And today's book, The House on Mango Street, takes place in Chicago, which is the indigenous home of the Kickapoo, the Peoria, the Kaskaskia, the Potawatomi, the Miamia, and the Oseti Sakawan people. Love those Great Lakes, Joe, for community, <laughs> right? And and intersection and integration. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was surprised at how many indigenous people are I don't want to say packed into this one area, but, you know, normally when we look up the land acknowledgement on nativeland.ca, there's, you know, a couple of indigenous tribes. And so this was kind of like, oh, wow, there's a lot here in Chicago. It sent me down this whole rabbit hole about trade routes and how the Great Lakes functioned as this significant meeting place. So that was pretty interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Also interesting how borders, I mean, many of the indigenous communities, they may have different names or they may go by different names now, but you really see how the border is a settler construct when you start to really look at these communities in places like the Great Lakes, hey? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's particularly relevant for today's text, considering that we have picked this specifically. So folks, welcome to our first book club entry. <laughs> so excited. But really, you know, we're talking about a book that is steeped in culture and community. Like, that's Mm -hmm. what The House on Mango Street is all about. And that's why we're talking about it today. Yeah, so this is our first book club episode. And we're going to talk about some key themes, things that jumped out at us. But we don't want you to feel like this episode is both the beginning and the end of the conversation. We hope that if you've read House on Mango Street alongside us, or if it's a book that you have encountered before, you'll write in and share some of your thoughts. Uh, So we won't try to be exhaustive in this episode. We're hoping that the conversation will continue through some future minisodes. Hey, Joe? Mm-hmm. And of mm-hmm. course, this does pair with our main feed episode that's coming up next week, which is on A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Which, wow, I started reading it. And does it ever echo the house on Mango Street? So mm-hmm. I went into the house on Mango Street without a lot of knowledge of it, just knowing that, as I think I've said on the show before, a lot of recommendations for diversifying your book list suggest like, hey, if you're doing A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, consider House on Mango Street. But Wow, like (laughs) the Mm -hmm. echoes are pretty significant, right? The conversation about gender and class and Mm -hmm. the whole idea of just like coming of age in a really patriarchal space without a lot of opportunities. How do you still make space for yourself to grow and develop? The echoes all the way through. So I'm looking forward to pulling this conversation into next week's chat as well a little bit. Indeed, yeah. So I think when we introduced the book club and said that we were going to be reading this, both of us acknowledged off the top that we had never read it. Mm -hmm. I had never even heard of this book. And I'm super embarrassed. Why? You should be super embarrassed. I mean, I'll confess, I'd never heard of A Tree Grows in Brooklyn either. Mm -hmm. But it's the kind of thing where when you start to research The House on Mango Street, the most cursory, shallow analysis of it is like, this book is massive. It sold 6 million copies. Yeah. It's won multiple awards. It's one of the most important Chicana novels. Like, 
I'm just super embarrassed that this is obviously a really important, significant book to a lot of people. And like the dumb white guy over here in the corner is like, never heard of it. But you know, one of the major areas where I think Canadians lack knowledge is many of the ethnic communities in the U.S., right? Like we tend Mm -hmm. to have this really... Sometimes I think unnecessarily detailed understanding of American settler history Mm -hmm. because it has had such an impact on Canadian history. But, you know, I don't ever remember talking about significant ethnic communities beyond like a really sort of tertiary glance at the civil rights movement at the end of every history class because that's as far as we ever got. Right. But the idea that there's like a vibrant Chicano community in chicago in the 50s and 60s like that's not something i had any frame of reference for so Mm -hmm. you know part of this show is recognizing our own ignorance and trying to repair it right so for me this book really fits in with that mandate yes yeah and i think one of the greatest things about the house on mango street is that author sandra cisneros she has written this book that is so incredibly, I hate saying accessible, because mm. to me, the word is tied synonymously with like the disability community. But mm. I think this book is so easy to get involved with. Like, it's so simplistically written. And I think, you know, she she did this deliberately because she wanted to make it easy for anybody to pick this up. But particularly working class folks, mm-hmm. folks who maybe didn't have a ton of literacy, people who were tired and could only read a couple pages a day, like, mm-hmm. it is so artfully constructed. Yeah. And also poetry, Brenna. I know, I know. So did you get the version that has the foreword by Cisneros? I did, yes. I was very lucky to have that context going into the book. Me too, but it's such a great forward because she does talk about all of that. She talks mm-hmm. about sitting in these MFA classrooms in Iowa. So she's a graduate of the Iowa Writers Workshop, which is one of the most prestigious Huge. writing workshops in the US, right? Yeah. She would sit in these classes and just feel like absolutely no connection or relation to any of the other people in the room and the stories they were telling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And particularly the audiences they wanted to reach, right? So she right. felt like her classmates were all thinking in these kind of high literary terms. Yeah, I want to win awards. Yeah. And she was like, I just want to write a book that my dad would want to read when he mm-hmm. got home at the end of the day, that he would find the energy, that he would be so compelled by it, that he would find the energy to read a two-page vignette before yes. crashing out for the day. It's and so that good. is really what the book is. It's a series yeah. of these, some of them are a paragraph long, some of them are two or three pages, all really short, very poetic, descriptive mm-hmm. vignettes. And because they're so short, I think that's why they feel so poetic, Joe, because every word has to count, right? She's really careful with her language. Yes, she's very, very artful. Mm-hmm. I will say, as someone who was trying to read this a little quickly i think one of the challenges with it is that it's actually easy to overlook Mm. the symbolism and that careful accordance of language because it's like oh well this is just two pages so i'll just like quickly get through it and then you realize oh no i think i've missed the point of this particular piece well the other thing that she's done is in creating a book that is widely accessible she's also created a book that's infinitely rereadable like i feel like Mm -hmm. i could pick up the house on mango street every year for the rest of my life and find something new in it yes yeah um i guess i should say what it's about oh sure yeah okay (laughs) take us through a quick plot synopsis 
I don't know. Plot synopsis is kind of hard here because as Joe and I have said, it is really like a series of not even short stories, but sort Mm -hmm. of snapshots, little flash fiction pieces. But they're all about and from the perspective of Esperanza. She's 12 years old and this book takes place over one year of her life. Although I've seen that contested in a couple of places where they think it actually takes place over a couple of years. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I I mean, I don't think it matters at the end of the day, but... That's good to know. That's interesting to know. Because... I sometimes thought that it was a lot of maturation over the course of a year. So Exactly, yes. Yeah, I buy it. Esperanza has always wanted to live in a house. And there's been this sort of family conversation of what their house would look like one day when they were able to afford a house. When they weren't Mm -hmm. just renting a flat in a tenement, but they were actually in a house. And the book opens with them achieving this house... And Esperanza being wildly disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't what I signed up for. Come on. I thought it was going to have a picket fence. And I thought it was going to have a yard. And I thought we would have our own bathroom. (laughs) Yes. The idea of a house of their own has been like this promised land, this thing that they were trying to achieve. And when they get to it, it's crumbling apart. She doesn't have her own bedroom. There's no trees. It's just not anything that she wanted. And so the house on Mango Street is her turning to writing, turning to words, turning to poetry as a way to try to write a different experience for herself. And Esperanza believes very strongly that what she wants to do is escape. Mm -hmm. And over the course of the vignettes, with the help of some fortune-telling neighbors, (laughs) (laughs) what she comes to realize is not that she is going to escape. She will leave. She will leave and she will get an education. She's like committed to that. She's so driven. But that the thing she will do afterwards is come home and help the people who she's leaving. And as a result, the vignettes move from sort of a framework almost of disgust in the very early ones Mm -hmm. to love by the end, even as she's recounting stories of abuse and stories of sexual violence and we have this character sally who's almost like a foil for esperanza she's another girl in her class but where esperanza is mostly left to her own devices by her dad for example sally's father abuses her Mm -hmm. there's a suggestion i mean it's quite a violently abusive relationship there's a suggestion that maybe it's also sexually violent I definitely got that impression, yeah. And Sally needs to escape. So where Esperanza's escape will come in sort of age-appropriate ways as she pursues an education and migrates Mm -hmm. out of the community and finds a way back to be of use to these people she loves, Sally escapes her father's abuse by getting married one county over where you can get married before eighth grade, which was horrifying. Yeah. And becoming a stay-at-home wife to another abusive man. Yeah, basically a father proxy who does the exact same thing and perpetuates the cycle of violence. And so through Sally, we go from sort of like Esperanza being a little bit in awe of the glamour of Sally and what she's able to kind of get away with and, Mm -hmm. and how much more interesting her life seems to be to just a real sense of the tragedy inherent in sally's experience and the as joe says the cyclical nature of violence that's endemic and it's really deeply related to class right like the poverty is like a central component of what traps these particularly young women in Mm -hmm. the situations where they find themselves 
Yeah, this book is extremely class-oriented mm-hmm. and gender-oriented. Mm-hmm. I think you can tell right from the beginning because it's written from a young girl's perspective. And really, the book is about the blossoming that happens as she not only gets older, but also as she kind of opens her eyes to the world around her. Like, mm-hmm. she starts to take note of these other women and their roles within the community. And what she sees is that if you don't have money... And if you don't have the right kind of agency, which is usually like not sexual, Mm -hmm. you end up getting trapped in the cycle, which is, you know, synonymous with never getting away from places like Mango Street. And I do like the fact that she ends up finding beauty and passion and like celebration in the street and even in some of the small intimacies Mm -hmm. of these women's lives. But it's also like downer, like these women that she's observing have kind of awful lives like they're beautiful but you just want esperanza to get away so badly so badly and like so the book itself is dedicated a la mujeres Mm, that's not right but it's to the women in spanish is how she dedicates the book right and there's been a lot written about the sort of tropes of particularly mexican american femininity that we see so there's like the madonna figure Mm -hmm. sort of virginal mother figure and Esperanza's mom is really sort of that figure, right? She's she's almost faultless, but also we all, we know very little about her. Except for the fact that she is basically what Esperanza could become if she doesn't pursue her education. Yes. That heartbreaking scene where her oh. mom is just like hanging out in the kitchen being like, I could have been an opera singer. I could have gone to university, but I didn't have the right clothes and I was afraid of being made fun of. Oh, that no. Oh my God. That scene is so powerful, right? When the mother talks about how the limiting factor for her was not money and it was not class and it was not race and it was not gender. It was shame. Right. And it was shame that, yes, society imposed upon her because of all of those things. But she also let it shame her. Yes. She just regrets it for decades afterwards. Oh, that's basically what she tells Esperanza, right? Is that like, you can't let the shame that other people want you to feel about who you are, stop you from Mm -hmm. doing what you want to do. And it's just like, that's so powerful. And also, (laughs) Esperanza takes one step outside the door, and you can see how it's way easier said than done, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And obviously, her mother never achieved it. And then there's the whore is the wrong word here, but like the sort of defiled woman, the woman who's been like cast out from society. And in many ways, that's Sally, right? Like Mm -hmm. Sally is, is effectively cast out by her father, by the husband she meets. Like she loses all connection to her friends. No one can be with her anymore once she is this married woman. And then you have the mother who is haunted by the loss of children. And we see that throughout this book as well, right? And these three women who are the representatives of what Esperanza has access to and the radical notion that she wants something different. Yeah, she wants what the character of Alicia is, which is like the girl who has gone off to university and she hasn't had an easy life, but she's kind of like making it work for her. But uh, I love that there's so much tension and push and pull. And like, this is a book that's completely made up of flawed characters, Mm -hmm. like real human beings who haven't figured everything out and who maybe made the wrong choice. And in some cases they've suffered their whole lives for it. And in other cases it's like, uh, you know what? I'm actually okay, but I wish I had have done something differently. There's ultimately no way out for Esperanza that doesn't 
result in the further subjugation of the women in her life. There's that scene, and I think it's the very last story, where she talks about this silent war that she's going to hold up against gender norms. And Mm -hmm. so every time she leaves the dinner table, she leaves it like, quote unquote, like a man. Yeah. (laughs) She doesn't take her plate to the counter. She doesn't wash up. She just like gets up and goes. Yeah. But what Esperanza never articulates, but what we're left with thinking as the reader is like, the mom. Yes, yeah, your mom who's going to have to look after this. <laughs> and the sisters, right? Like the the sisters, sorry. Those other women have to pick up that slack. Like there's no version of this where Esperanza leaving doesn't cost something to the other women in the family. And that's like, ah, it's so complicated. Like I, mm-hmm. I just really enjoyed how the book doesn't leave us with any easy answers. No. It's also simultaneously fascinating because... There's so much of Cisnerno in Esperanza. Like she's talked about how she wrote this book over many, many years. And it doesn't even seem like she thought of it as a single contained story. Like she was writing these as individual vignettes and then they come together to form this complete package. But when I read the book, because I had read her preface, Mm. you just see so much of like, And if Esperanza can succeed, she will become Sandra Cisnerno. Yes, yes. It's very much a, what's that German word? A Bildungsroman, right? Portrait of the artist as a young person. This Mm -hmm. idea of like trying to sort of rewrite your own childhood narrative to make sense of the person you became as a writer. Yeah. 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 I really, really, really like it. I'm so glad, Joe. I was nervous because I didn't know anything about it going in. It just felt like something we should read in relation to A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And for me, it's daunting because a bunch of our listeners probably read this in high school, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And we're coming to it fresh in our 30s. So yeah, I'm really eager to hear what folks have to say if you have read this book before. If you haven't, it's only 103 pages. Like, Just go pick it up and read it. You won't regret spending time with these characters at all. Yeah. I actually can't believe this hasn't been adapted, by the way. Yeah, I actually (laughs) did see that there's like a bit of a footnote on the Wikipedia page that says it was originally going to be picked up for adaptation in January of last year by the people who made Narcos on Netflix, and then the deal fell through. Oh, I would watch that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think for me, this is a TV show. Totally. Okay, so if you want to share with us your thoughts on House on Mango Street, or if you want to talk about uh, anything else, you can find us on our new shiny Twitter account, at HKHSPod. We're also still watching the hashtag, HKHSPod. And if you have something longer, it's HKHSPod at gmail.com. Joe, are we still giving out our own handles now that we have one big fancy handle? Uh, yeah, if people want to get a hold of you, they should be welcome to. So Brenna, how would people reach only you? I am at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And Joe? <laughs> I am at B. Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. Should we foreshadow the next book club? Yes, yeah. So I do think part of this is that we, we want people to not just engage with us the week that we're actually talking about the book club, because mm-hmm. it's easier for us to collect your responses if we can get them in ahead of time. So Brenna, what is our February book club pick? Okay, so our February book club is also kind of a connection to A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, because it's about Brooklyn. But <laughs> <laughs> we're going to read Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson. Ah, 2020 MacArthur Genius Fellow, Jacqueline Woodson, I should say. Okay. And 
Can you give a bit of a tease for folks who may not know what it's about? It's so good. You guys know that I talk all the time about my desperate need for us to read novels in verse, and we never do because they don't get adapted into anything. So (laughs) Brown Girl Dreaming is a novel in verse, coming-of-age story rooted in conversations about race and class and gender, just like House on Mango Street, but set in Brooklyn, like Tree Grows in Brooklyn. So I really love it. It's probably more middle-grade YA crossover kind of title, although I guess House on Mango Street is too. A little bit, yeah. But it's just really beautiful. I picked it for book club, A, because I think it ties in nicely back to Tree Grows in Brooklyn, like can have a really rich conversation about all three of these texts in conversation with each other. Mm -hmm. But also because as a collection of poetry, I think it's a quick read, but also one that will be really, really rewarding. So if you're picking it up in addition to your usual reading, just to read alongside us, it won't be burdensome. And I think you'll get a lot out of it. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, looking forward to it. Cool. All right. Well, that closes out our first ever book club. Until next time. Uh, I'll see you on the page. I feel like I had some more to say there, but then it went away, Joe. Oh, okay. Oh. Well, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll see you on the screen. See? Nothing. Just that. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.